Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, breaks it in! With your host, Elliot Anderson, stop it down behind his head. Sekou Smith, the tipping is good at the buzzer. Now it's time for the tip. Oh yes, Hang Time Podcast. Back together again, got the crew here after a little break. Micah Hart, our super producer behind the glass. Got a new engineer with us today, handling the duties, Lane Krause, working all the controls, and our special guest co-host, who's quickly uh, using up his special guest status and is just going to be a co-host, Lane Whitaker, executive editor <laughs> of Swim Magazine. special in years. <laughs> I know you don't get the special anywhere but school, but uh, yeah. we are definitely glad to have you with us. Um, what have you been doing the last, you know, week and a half? I hadn't, I hadn't seen nor uh, spoken to you in a while. What, what's been going on with you? Well, while you were out gallivanting around on vacation, <laughs> seeing the finer things that Stone Mountain has to offer, uh, I was working yeah. in Slam, well, doing some stuff uh, for this next issue of Slam, and uh, I watched uh, a lot of the Team USA stuff. Have you been watching any of that? I have. I've, I've been uh, watching everybody because I wanted to watch Rubio the other day. Um, you know, and I watched Goran Dragic. Dragic. Gosh, I hate I hate butchering his name, um, but I watched him specifically just to see if what we saw from him in the playoffs translated to this international competition. Which I didn't really—he didn't jump off the screen at me like I thought he might. You know, I thought he'd right. have kind of a breakout showing. He didn't. Um, I wanted to see Tiago Splitter. I mean, not, to me, it's the the international competition stuff like the World Bas- or the World Championships is always a good chance to watch some of these international players really get get into a situation where they're star, you know, where they're the yeah. focal points of their teams and stuff. So um, it's been impressive, though. I mean, I, I've really been impressed with Derrick Rose and how well he's played uh, for the U.S. team. I know everybody just assumed it was going to be kind of a Kevin Durant showcase. But yeah. uh, but Rose and some of those other guys have played really well. I think, I mean, I know everyone was picking uh, Spain and, and Greece as the kind of the leaders in the clubhouse. But, I mean, I think Team USA is right there with them. And uh, – I mean, the one thing I've, I've seen them play the first two games, and and I, I mean, I think they've got they've got enough talent to compete with anyone. I, I think you know the games might the first two games have kind of been along the same storyline where they're kind of close and they wear them down, you know. And I think the U.S. just has enough depth and guys to keep throwing at them, and you know, I think as long as they can wear you out. Uh, before the game's over, they're going to win. But some of these other teams, you know, they can put together 40 minutes of uh, of solid basketball or, or shoot well. Like Brazil, I think, made 18 out of 31 in the first half of the game today. And yeah. if, if a team's shooting well, they, they, you know, it's going to be tough to beat them. Well, I think part of it, Lang, is just the parity. Like, there's literally, you know, p- so much parity in international basketball when the United States does not send over Kobe and 
you know, D. Wade and LeBron and that group that it's more of a level competition, I think, for everybody. Not, I mean, you could say Spain or somebody like that's a favorite, but they're going to have just as much work to do as anybody else trying to win this thing. Um, oh, totally, yeah. I, I think those teams have, like Spain and some of those teams have a little bit of an advantage just in that they've played together longer. Right. Some of those guys, like this Team USA team is, is kind of just thrown together, you know, the last couple of months. And Spain is a, essentially the same team that played in the Olympics and the last World Championships. And I think uh, that, you know, that helps a lot for those countries. Yeah, well, I mean, I came off of uh, vacation, Lang, and you would think that we after the summer we've had with all the drama and, you know, guys changing addresses in the league, you know, going from here to there, that it would be over. Uh, but instead, Carmelo, you know, is still a hot topic for a lot of people. The fact that, excuse me, the fact that he may not be in Denver uh, yeah. much longer. And then Jamal Crawford with your Hawks, which I know is a situation you probably got a keen eye on. Uh, what do you make of all this drama? I mean, I, I, I put something up on the Hangtime blog this morning on NBA.com about that very thing. I actually proposed a trade. Um, sending Carmelo and J.R. Smith to Atlanta for uh, Josh Smith and Jamal Crawford, which I'm sure you were cringed when you saw it. But um, what, what do you make of I that whole situation? <laughs> I didn't see it. Well, you need to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I don't know if Denver would make that trade. Um, I mean, I, I think Carmelo's one of the top five, eight, six, seven guys in the league. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Top, <laughs> top five, eight? six, seven, eight. Three, I don't know. He's somewhere up there. I mean, I, I think he's uh, a guy you can build around, and um, you know, he, he's a franchise player. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know that getting Jamal and Josh back for Denver would be enough. Uh, I mean, it, they'd have to kind of rebuild around those guys. And well, I mean, would you rather have draft picks and whatever that might be, or would you rather have established quality players that you could say, all right? We plug these guys in and we don't fall out of the playoff mix or we don't fall well, off the face of the planet in Denver right now. Yeah, it depends what you're trying to do. I yeah. mean, I, I think uh, in the West, even if you get a couple of established guys, uh, I mean, even with Carmelo, the Nuggets are, are still probably a, just a step below L.A. and some of the Phoenix, Dallas, um, or right there with them. But, I mean, L.A. is obviously the favorite out there. and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe try to restart the whole thing or, um, you know, with, with the new GM and they're making changes. Maybe they try to start over from the ground up or, yeah. or, or, you know, maybe they, maybe Carmel stays, who knows? I, I think, um, I think he's probably their best chance to, to build a contender around him. I mean, it's going to be hard to find anyone else that good and that established in the NBA and that young. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, maybe they, they convince him to, to stay. And, you know, the one thing is Carmelo, uh, has a lot of power right now because he'll be a free agent next summer, and and this is his chance to to if he wants a trade, this is a good time to ask for it. Right, right. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm I've always been leery of the old, you know, star for draft picks or you know for the future type thing. I, I would rather have my hands on somebody. You know, you got to remember Jamal's contract will be expiring. Right. If you're Denver, so I mean that's ten million plus coming off your books. At the right. end of the season. I mean, it, I like it for both both teams, you know. I mean, it was just something that I thought about, and I figured, you know, if Jamal wants a new team and, and Carmelo doesn't want to be in Denver, you know, I, I wish these GMs would get on the phone and make deals more. I know they, I know everybody's really 
apprehensive about just doing a deal without, you know, looking under every rock and trying to find every way they can, you know, right. a, save money, get what they want, and then save face with their fans and the public, you know. Right. But my and thing, it's hard. NBA is hard to make trades. Yeah, you it's, get it's, match up, it's all that yeah. stuff. And yeah. It's always got to match. I mean, there's always some issues going on, but I wish these GMs, I wish a lot of them would just say, you know what, dude says he wants out, man, move him. You know, yeah. and and take his list of preferred teams that he wants to be moved to and tear it up, and find you know because I mean nobody really they can demand that you move them to certain teams, but nobody right. has a trade deal where they can tell you, hey, I'm not going or I'm you know. Right. Well, that's the thing with Melo though is he can extend or not extend. Right. You know, help them. He could help Denver on the way out if he would uh, agree to work with them, or they would agree to work with him, or the other way around. So. Yeah. I mean it's. Like I said, it's just it's uh, excuse me a different. Uh, what's what's going on with your voice? Can we talk about this? <laughs> yeah, it's my. <laughs> we we had our first game Saturday night. The Smyrna Spartans. I'm the uh, defensive coordinator for uh, sixth and seventh grade football team. And by the way, I I talked to Micah last week, and I told him I I was going to come on here and apologize to all coaches everywhere for making fun of him for the last you know I don't know twenty years because you know. You just assume the job is easy until you actually have to go out there and try and coach somebody. Right. And uh, and actually, Mike Woodson called me, called <laughs> me like uh, last Sunday, a week ago Sunday. He just called me up out of blue, just kind of talk and see what's going on. And the first thing I said to him was, I said, "Listen, I want to apologize for all those uh, awful things I wrote and said about you the past five years, six years." I said because now that I've coached a little bit, I understand why you're as crazy as you really are. Uh, and my voice is a byproduct. My voice is proof. Uh, Saturday night, we we won our first game, twenty-two to nothing. Shout out, Due West. But literally, the voice was gone at halftime. I had nothing. Right. I had nothing left at halftime. I did so much hollering at these poor eleven and twelve-year-old kids <laughs> that I was speechless at halftime because I had no voice left. So I, all coaches everywhere, this is my you know my official apology to you for for making fun of you for all these years. Were, were you unduly harsh, like yelling over the top? or No, no, I was just yelling a lot. And I think it, was, it wasn't it was so much what I was yelling. These are 11-year-olds. And 12-year-olds. Um, but it, <laughs> <laughs> Some are 12 now. Well, their voices probably sound like yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the voices crack constantly <laughs> like mine has gone do today and uh, hopefully only today. I've been drinking a ton of green tea and trying to get it right. Uh, Maybe that's how you relate to your players by having your voice crack. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. Like, I wonder how much hollering our our first guest this week on the on the Hang Time podcast had to put up with over the you know, the course of his basketball career. Uh, a Donald Foyle recently retired uh, after a long career in the NBA is joining us now on the podcast. Uh, a Donald, how much hollering? Did you get at Colgate and and throughout your NBA career? Well, I th- I think that um you know from my, from my experience, uh, Coach Bruin had a whole new level of yelling. He had it <laughs> New York style, DC style. He had it all combined in one. Um, he was one of the funniest persons. When he yells, I couldn't help. I I laughed. I, I just, I, yeah, but, he was so creative. <laughs> but you also played the last couple of years. You were around for Stan Van Gundy. Exactly. That's a yeah, world class so, screaming right there. Yeah. Exactly. But I think uh, Coach Bruin has him beat. But uh, in terms of creativity, but uh, Stan uh, Stan merely uh, talks in a very loud manner. <laughs> <laughs> It's how we communicate so that everything can uh, 
so everybody can hear him. You know, he's 20,000 plus people, so he needs to kind of project. So that's kind of what he's doing. He's not really yelling. He's just projecting. <laughs> well, Donna, I've heard Dwight Howard's impersonation of Stan Van Gundy. Is he the best? I mean, is he the guy that's the very best at impersonating Stan Van Gundy? I think he's absolutely great at it. And I think what, what's even more is that when you when Stan laughs at it, you know it's pretty good and pretty much close to the max. So when you get Stan to laugh at anything, I think that's that's pretty good. <laughs> did you, Donald? Did you respond to to that kind of coaching, or were you the kind of guy who was more like, you know, the quieter, uh, more uh, maybe uh, thinking approach? I never understood. I never understood that. You know, because for me, it's like if you just tell me to go and rip a guy's head off, I'm going to go do it. He has to yell at me to do it. I mean, he's tell me to set a pick, I'll do it. Now, when yeah. he yelled at me, I just thought I couldn't help. I started laughing uh, because it, it was so funny. I think I think it was so fake. I mean, he's like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to yell at you. You kind of almost know what it was coming. So, I mean, right. if, you, if you pay attention, you can like go into the locker and be like, Okay, you know, we're done by 20. It's going to be a yelling match, you know. Let's right, just, right. Let's just see what's going to happen. <laughs> well, well, I mean, O'Donnell, you, I don't even know if it's hit you yet. I know you've retired, and uh, we read the poem that you wrote to the game that I thought was fantastic. You know, the eighth pick overall in the 1997 NBA draft has the gravity of I'm moving from my basketball career to the next phase of my life. Has that Has that really set in for you yet? No, not even close. I mean, I, I just kind of put my head down, and I've been uh, trying to finish up my master's or just finish my thesis and just been trying to do all the little stuff and um, trying to figure out what's next and kind of just re- trying to relax. But I'm not very good at relaxing, so <laughs> it's been very difficult for me. So I'm not like the kind of person that can go and sit by the pool and, you know, I need to be doing something. So um, I don't think it's set in yet. I'm not sure it's going to for a while. Well, once you've finished the Masters, I know you've got Democracy Now! Matters, I'm sorry, and you've been doing all these other uh, things off the court for years. Like, What do you what do you think is going to take up most of your time the next couple of years? You know, I like to be around the game a little bit. I mean, I, I, I someday in this league, I hope I'd like to be a general manager, hopefully. Right. Um, you know, so I like to, I like to learn the, the craft and really stay around the game and, and learn as much as I can. And, uh so, you know, at some point, you know, that'll, that'll, well, that's what I would like to do. But, um, you know, right now I'm just kind of figuring out what's the next step. Hmm. Well, well, Donald, this, that, your, your aspirations to be a general manager one day tie in perfectly with what I was talking about with Lang before we brought you on. You've heard about Carmelo Anthony, I assume, and the, the possibility that he may not want to return to the Denver Nuggets. And uh, Jamal Crawford, it's come out in recent days, is wants either an extension or a trade from the Atlanta Hawks. I proposed that you do a, a four-man trade, take Carmelo Anthony and J.R. Smith from Denver and send them to Atlanta for Jamal Crawford and Josh Smith. You're the GM of one of those teams. Do you sign off on that deal? I think, I'll, you know, for me, one of the difficult things that a, that a general manager has to do is to try to get the temperature of a player um, without actually – having the player. I mean, obviously, having Camilla Anthony in a team is a, is a good deal. But right. um, to me, the always the difficulty is how do you get to interview a player, talk to a player, get the sense of what he wants to do? Because you don't want to bring in a player if that player has plans of not really being with your team for very long. So the question right. is, are you in a rebuilding phase? 
mm. um, you know, what's the intention of this guy, and that can't happen until you have a conversation. So my my preference would be, you know, to wait until that guy, if we can't get him right away and I can't convince him, at least wait until, you know, his contract gets by work and have a chance to talk to him so I can get an idea. Because you don't want a guy to come in at your team if he doesn't want to be there and he has designs and being someplace else. Right. Um, so, and how is it short-term versus long-term? Do you want this guy to be a, a cornerstone of your team as is uh, if you're Atlanta right now from um, – you know, with Josh, uh, you bring another guy who's going to be a year, and then what? Right. So, I mean, you have to figure out, I guess, what, what's the what's the intent of the team and where you want to be in a few years and what's the kind of how you want to make up, uh, what kind of players you want to make up your team with. So, it's a tough one. I like that answer. I like that. We, we're going to save that for when you do your interviews for your GM <laughs> job. And, you know, that's how you, that's, that's a great way to approach it, though. Yeah, yeah. Seku can be a reference for you on your uh, <laughs> resume. <laughs> Adonis, how did you how did you fall in love with basketball? I know you grew up, in, you know, in, on a small island, and uh, I mean, w- w- was basketball popular there? W- was another sport the most popular there? Oh, cricket is the most popular. Then probably soccer, and then basketball probably in a distant third. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, basketball was a young people's sport. It was like, I think, more and more uh, of the young kids wanted to play. So, you know, we played in um, telephone poles on top of, uh, you know, outdoor uh, water catchments and stuff. Right. Um, there was never any really uh, proper um, basketball facility or structure until I went to this um, uh, one of the other islands called Union Island where I learned the game. And, um, you know, it, it just kind of... I just started, I think, because of my height. <laughs> Everybody right. just thought I should play, and uh, you know, my friends kind of yelled at me, told me I should play. You know, you're six, three, six, four. You're fifteen, sixteen years old. You know, you got to play basketball. There's, you know, I didn't know what the game was, so I kind of, you know, went to the game and didn't really like it because I sucked at it. <laughs> 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 so, so it took me. It took me a while. But I think that, you know, in terms of falling in love with the game, I think because I started so late is that I felt like throughout my career I really was learning every summer. I mean, I went to Pete Newell camp, I think, like four or five consecutive summer. I worked out right. with um, Swain Nader, you know, uh-huh. Pete, uh, you know every, every coach, Clifford Ray, uh, mm. Robert Parrish, all these guys, every year I felt like I was learning and I was getting better. So for me it was like, kind of like my academic pursuit. It was always um, very intriguing and very new to me. So I definitely, over the, over the years, I felt that the more I've been around the game, the more I understand how brilliant the guys that played are, at least in the context of, uh, of the game itself, how knowledgeable they, they are. Right. Wow. I mean, Donald, do you, do you look at the game when you first got into the league in 1997 and then look at it now in 2010 has it changed dramatically in terms of how the league operates, the way the players are, uh, just the, the real meticulous dynamics of the day-to-day life of an NBA player? Has it changed dramatically from 1997 I, till now? I think, it, I think it has. I mean, I think one of the – there's no denying that the globalization of the sport, and, and, and as is indicative of so many aspects of uh, – of our, of, our, of our country and of our economy, the globalization of sport, I think, is, is very tremendous. I mean, when we first came in the league, there wasn't a lot of international players mm-hmm. in 97. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some. But if you look at what has happened over 
the last several years. I mean, there's been a tremendous amount of influx of players from all over the world. We're truly, I think, in many ways, a global sport now. Yeah. And um, I think in terms of, you know, obviously the players uh, are younger. There's a lot of money in the, in the system. And, um, you know, so I, I think that there's been tremendous changes, especially in the globalization of the sport. Tell us a little bit about uh, Democracy Matters. Well, I started uh, Democracy Matters my, my second year in the league. I wanted to get young people involved in politics. And I, uh, the more I talked to them, it, it was a sense of hopelessness among young people that they didn't have a say in the political system. Mm-hmm. So we felt that we needed to reclaim the political system for young people. And we felt that the way to do that was to advocate for campaign finance reform around the issue of money in politics. We believe that the proliferation of money in politics have really made for really bad policies because politicians spend more time raising money than doing what they're supposed to do, which is to advocate for the constituencies. So we try to um, empower our kids to fight for clean election, but more than that, to teach them to harness their voice and really let their voices be heard um, and, and many issues and really teaching them that their power lies in the number of them and their use of um, technology and their ability to form like a quorum or movement of people. And they can change the country, even if they don't have money, they can change the political system by their sheer numbers. And uh, it's just kind of political awakening, wow. <laughs> awakening them politically. Huh. Donna, where are you going to call home and headquarters now that you're not going to be moving around from team to team and things like that? I mean, where, I mean you're a man of the world I mean, how do you decide where you want to set up shop and continue, you know, you're off the court work, obviously, and, and pursuing, like you said, your your master's degree and, and all these other things? I think I'll be moving back and forth. I mean, I have a hammock in the, in the Caribbean uh, and two coconut trees. Uh, you know, hopefully I'll go there for a little bit. I still am a resident of Florida, and right. I love the Bay Area. So I think I'll be going back and forth until I figure out you know, what I want to do next and uh, and, and kind of go from there. But uh, it would be fun to go back and see the folks um, back in the islands and be able to do some of the things I haven't been able to do. But, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. and, and what is the, the one thing you take away from all these years in the NBA? Like, what's the one lasting memory you have of your time in the league? Or is there one thing? I don't think there's one thing, but I think if, if I was to point to something, it would be, just like my my kind of respect for the players. I mean, I, I think that one of the, the the great thing about this league is that when you when you're involved in it, is that you realize how brilliant players are. They may not be brilliant in every aspect of their life, but in terms of um, the knowledge of the game, um, I think when you're an NBA, when you're outside in college, high school, you don't realize like how smart a guy is. You know um, how much he can. He can conceptualize the game, and I mean, so I learned a lot from like point guards, like mm-hmm. the way the point guards see the game, the way a big man sees the game. You know, just understanding these different perspectives has been illuminating for me because it's like, it's like you know, you think like you hear about what you have players, coaches, and you have this kind of coach and that kind of coach, and I think part of it is that is that when a player gets to this level, I like to think of it. He has a PhD in basketball. Is right. that they know the game. They don't need you to tell them everything about the game. What they need you to do is to create a structure for them. So I think when right. you hear the term, when I first heard the term, oh, he's a player's coach, you know, I, I didn't understand what that means. And all that meant is that this is a coach who's going to really let the players decide uh, in a, in a, how the game is played and, and what to do because those players 
did you feel like you were a little bit behind the curve when you came into the NBA? Just because, as you said, if it's like a PhD, these other guys have been studying for it since they were, you know, in second or third grade, and you came to it later than that? Yeah, absolutely. I felt I was always behind. And, I mean, just the way I felt academically, I always was behind academically. I always tried to do more in order to catch up. I was always playing right. catch up. Um, but it, it made me hungrier. It made me enjoy it more. I, I was never really bored. Um, right. So for me, whereas, you know, some guys, I think, burn out um, uh-huh. at some point in the career, I felt like I was quite refreshed and was still learning. <laughs> wow. That's well, great. I'm going to tell you what, you uh, you definitely need to uh, keep a hand in the game of basketball because uh, – we definitely want to see you around as a GM or whatever it is you might want to do someday uh, in the game of basketball and beyond. And we appreciate you so much for coming on the Hangtime Podcast with us today. Congratulations on a fantastic career, by the way. Thank you very much, guys. All right, and thank I, you. I want to borrow that hammock at some point. <laughs> exactly. And don't be yelling at the kids, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try and do my uh, – Just let me know when it's free. I'm going to try and give him my stand van today at practice, Adonis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right man. Take one. care. Thanks, Adam. Right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I could uh, do a, a hammock, Lang, but I could certainly try to I'll do give a, it a shot. Yeah, between two coconut trees. A couple trees there, Seku. And that's what I'm saying. I, you know, <laughs> one too many, one too many cafe con leches on the way, and you better have two pretty strong coconut trees. But, <laughs> but uh, listen. He brought hey, up. He brought up hold a, of Donald. It'll hold you exactly. And he brought up an interesting point, Lang, that we talk about all the time. Is these guys the perception of players? A lot of times, when you just see them from afar, you talk, you hear a soundbite from them is one thing, but when you get to know them and you get a chance to to dive into their personalities a little bit, we're talking about four hundred some totally unique individuals who play this game. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. each one has each guy has his own story and his own path to getting there i mean he raised some real interesting points about the brilliance of these players just in the discipline of basketball you know and what kind of drive it takes it's not just talent obviously what kind of drive it takes to play at this level you know i i one of the things and this is sort of related is that whenever the basketball video games come out I, i don't really like playing them that much because they get they get the plays right and the defenses and you know man to man and all that stuff but it's not it's not like a real NBA 10 players, guys who can play within that structure, but freelance and, you know, things come up and, and you don't know and you end up with weird matchups and all that kind of stuff in real basketball. And I think he kind of hit on that in that, you know, anyone can, like if you're coaching your 11 and 12 year olds, you can teach them how to play a four, three or whatever, or how to line up in that. But when you have the greatest athletes in the world doing it, it yeah. it's, it's totally different. Yeah. I mean, it's, I I wouldn't be very interested to see where his path takes him. Like if he does end up working within the NBA as a GM or assistant GM in the next few years, because I I would imagine he'll have a really good rapport with players in terms of how they transition from be it college ball or international ball into the league. You need somebody in an organization with that kind of thoughtfulness about the process, I think. Well, and I think that's why Orlando's kind of kept him around the last yes. couple of years. You know, like they – I think they included him in a trade and brought him back because, uh, they. I mean, Otis Smith likes having him around. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, not everybody's going to end up being an all-star player, but they're all-star guys. Uh, somebody told me that a long time. I'm stealing that, and I don't – I shouldn't say who, who told me that. Um, but 
a long time ago, an NBA GM who's a GM right now told me that. He said, there are a lot of times they're going to be all-star players. He said, but you need some all-star guys in your locker room and in your organization as well. I would imagine that Donald Foyle has been that throughout the course of his career. Yeah, I think so. There's always guys who are maybe not my favorite players in the league, but some of my favorite people yeah. in the league. You know, and I, and Donald fits that perfectly. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I, I hate to – now my my poor uh, team, football team is going to be outed on the podcast. Uh, luckily, they're in school, and they shouldn't be playing around uh, listening to this thing anyway because – Believe me, they they would chime in with some some colorful things I've said with my hollering. I hadn't just been hollering; I've been hollering spe- very specific <laughs> things. So I had a high school coach who would uh, during timeouts make us go out onto the court, um, like away from the stands, so he could yell at us because he didn't want the parents to hear what he <laughs> what he was saying to us. <laughs> well, so, uh, I'm just, I'm just gonna say I think you know these are so kids. Say who constructive. <laughs> I'm try- I'm doing my best to keep it. Uh, For better or worse, they look up to you. Yes, exactly. You know? I'm doing my best to keep it PG 11 and 12. Um, <laughs> I think we need to get one of these kids on. Maybe get your son on. Let no. me ask, talk to him about this. Uh uh-uh. uh He's smart enough to stay far away from me during the games and in practice. So, <laughs> but listen, we we we're not just bringing you one guest today. Obviously, we got another uh, fantastic guest lined up here at the Hangtime Podcast. One of my all-time favorites, Lang, I know one of yours as well. We follow him on Twitter and enjoy all of the stuff he does. Uh, Kenny Anderson, former NBA player and a a renaissance man in his own right the last few years, is now joining us here on the podcast. K.A., how you doing, man? Hey, Q. How you doing, my man? Everything good? Good, good. Kenny, you – there's been so much written about you in the last few months, obviously, getting your degree and just – restarting this part of your life obviously after basketball man what was it like going through the process from a, a teenage phenom in new york city obviously when you were very young to a, a long nba career to now kind of restarting all over again in another phase of your life it's great man um you know I, i'm only 39 i'll be 40 next month um i got my whole life ahead of me man and right. basketball nba was only 14 years it was great. It, it, it was an opportunity for me to take care of my mom and my family. Um, all I have is great things to say to, you know, that with that basketball, man, it opened so many doors for me. It, it got me out of, you know, poverty, and it, it, it made me the person I am today somewhat. Um, you know, my, me going back to school after 20 years, getting my degree, uh, it was very humbling at first experience when I transferred, you know, from, the, from, from um, going from, you know, retirement and then, you know, not playing basketball for the you know two three years. I retired in two hundred five. To the first two three years was kind of like, wow, what am I doing? <laughs> so I had to reinvent myself, and um, I lost my mother like in two hundred five also. So it was it was kind of like a you know, and then I had my kids to take care of. Right. It was like, yo, what are you gonna do? You know what I mean? What are you gonna do? You gonna sit here, feel sorry for yourself, and or you gonna get up and um, get off the, the canvas and. Uh, you know, um, do things you know makes me happy. And uh, right now, I'm, I'm around the youth. Man. I'm training and uh, um, got my academy up. It's going slow right now, but right. I'm just trying to get the marketing up on it. And uh, there's something I love doing. I love being in the gym. I love you know uh, mentoring kids and trying to put them you know trying to let them know you know about my my the way I went. You know what you know the, what that I use my ingredients to get. To be successful on a high school level, college level, pro level, right? It's, it's, 
just giving back the knowledge, man, and, and that's what I'm put on earth to do. God gave me the blessing, so I'm trying to just give it back. Right. Kenny, uh, this is Lang from Slam Magazine. And uh, when, when did you decide going back to school? Like, when did when did that come into your head? And what was it like when you went back? Did you did you feel like the adult who showed up for the kids' class? Or like, <laughs> what was that like for you? You know what? I was trying to do it. I was trying to go back to school, and I was in the lead. Yeah. And I was just I kept procrastinating. And it, it got worse and worse each summer. You know, you want to travel. You want right. to see the world. Said, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then when my mother had a, like a blessing in the skies, but a bad blessing somewhere. Right. When my mother, when my mother passed, it was like, oh snap! You know, I told my mother I was going to go back to school, and, I, and she never got the opportunity to see me do it. So it was kind of like, wow, now I have to do it. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, I went. You know, they took forty of my credits. You know, I went up there to the academic, academic advisor. I think two, three classes was in in in, in uh, on campus. But um, majority of it was online, and um, they helped me a great deal. You know, they, they didn't hold my hand like right. when you got a scholarship when I, you know Georgia Tech. <laughs> so you 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 have like a, a person to just take you everywhere and you know get you all squared away. So this was like, hey, I had to do this on my own. Right. So it was it was kind of interesting, but it was rewarding. You know right. what I mean? That I I went through it myself. Right. And um, it was surreal, man. I graduated May fifteenth. Man, when they called my name up, man, it was like 500 students. And when they said Kenny Anderson, when I went up there and got that, you know, my um, degree, it, it was a it was a real emotional time for me. It was kind of like that, you know, getting getting the NBA hat when they say, "Yo, the number two pick for <laughs> the New Jersey Kenny Anderson," and you walk up there. But this was like even bigger. Wow! Right? right. You know, that dude was up there. He was like Kenny Anderson. He said my real name. <laughs> I was like, oh. oh, oh you know what I mean? I was like, oh, snap. It was crazy, man. It was a real, it's kind of one of the biggest accomplishments in my life. Wow. Basketball was easy. Easy. That's I, I know how to do that. Right. Going to the gym and working out. But going to school again after 20 years, you know, it, it was tough. Many days doing papers and all, I wanted to quit. But I had people, like, I was getting closer and closer. So they was like, you got to go through it. Yeah. it was what did you, what did you major in? Um, business, um, um, excuse me, um, organizational leadership. Hmm. Okay. The leadership degree, so, you know, and um, that's what it was. Kenny, do was you, great. do you, uh, I mean, you mentioned 39 years old, about to turn 40. Do you get the kind of reception a former star player gets from these young kids you work with? Like, do do they yeah. have any concept of who you were in in the game of basketball when you were younger? It's a, It's amazing. Thank you. And that's what keeps me, you know, when I first retired, I touched so many people, man. It's amazing. I walk around, it's 14 and 15 year olds, and they know me because, you know, they know me through YouTube and all this other stuff. They can go back on the right. history of Kenny Anderson, and most of them do that. And New York, you know, my two cities, man, is New York and Atlanta. Right. That's where it all started for me, man. You know, New York from, the, from, from my childhood. And then 18 and all was Atlanta. You right. know, they I, they came down. I came down there with a lot of pressure on my back. And, and I delivered, you know what I mean, at Georgia Tech, the number one recruit. And, uh, you know, that's my Atlanta. And I'm planning on probably me and my family moving back the next four or five years. I love it. The people that I met through Georgia Tech, you know, I eat, sleep, Georgia Tech. That's somewhere I want to coach one day at. You right. know, I always follow them. You know what I mean? So 
Yes. On that note, everybody, all everybody follow. You know, follow me, Kenny Anderson. All the young New York, it's like a no-brainer. Like all the guards that come out of New York, they always give me a lot of love and respect. Right. And um, Atlanta, the same. Those two cities, man, it just you know it, it made for the publicity and the popularity of Kenny Anderson. That's how I grew. Kenny, I grew up. In, I mean, I don't want to make you feel old. I'm about five years younger than you, yeah. but I grew I grew up in Atlanta, and I was in high school when you were at Georgia Tech, and I used to watch yeah. all the games, Lethal Weapon three, and all that yeah. stuff. Um, when you went to the NBA, did, did you what What did you think your NBA career was going to be like? Did you have any idea that? Uh, I mean, did you think you were going to win titles? Did you know you were yeah. going to be an All Star? I mean, what did yeah. you think? You know what? I go around and I walk around. I didn't think nothing. Yeah, I, I, and I tell all these kids some of the investments I made, my, you know, certain things I did in my life. I made it, my, that basketball thing, NBA. You know, I, I thank all the past players, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic, who made the lead so we could get all the money that they 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 receiving right now. Made the game global, and I was able to get paid and get out of the ghetto and take my mother out of all the things that we was going through. So when right. I made it, it was like man, it was like a burden off my my shoulders. Like I can take care of my mother now. After right. I had no plans, I had no really, you know, no no really plan, you know, after basketball and that thing. I just was trying to take my mother. It was all about my mother, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've seen her struggle all throughout my life, and then I was able to make the eighteen years, you know, about yeah, eight fifteen to eighteen years. She lived in a home in Glen Cove. Mm-hmm. She had no problem going over. My mother went all over the world, London, Paris. She 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 enjoyed her life. And yeah. that's what it was all about to me. I didn't know. I, I knew, you know, I could play and compete against the best because I did that my whole life. Right. But the NBA, it just was, I didn't know. You know, yeah. I, I know. And the thing I always think, when you would say, cool, introduce me, he say, you know, great. I had a great, phenomenal high school career, a great college career. And with the expectations of a Kenny Anderson, I had a solid pro career. I don't, right. you know, sometimes I think, you know, maybe this, maybe that. Who knows? That things didn't work out for me all the time in the league. But my numbers was always solid. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I made the offer team up. But I just I just got caught up in, in certain situations, business or whatever, that I had no control over. Right. You know, with teams. And I never played with a dominant big man. You right. know what I mean? I played with, you know, Derek Coleman uh, was great. Driving Petrovic, that team was awesome. But yeah. well, we had to compete against the Chicago Bulls, the Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> right. the, the certain area I played in. Yeah. You know, it's only one, two things in my life that I didn't do is win a ring, and I didn't get a chance to play for my country, USA. And I thought I could have made that Olympic team, but it was two, three, you know, top guards that yeah. I, you know, John Stockton and that Aaron Gary Payton, those yeah. guards that I was competing against. Right. But those right. are the two things I look back at my career and say, "Hey, man, I wish I would have." You know what I mean? Olympics and yeah. and getting a ring. Yeah. You, didn't, you, you didn't mention it, but you also was it with Jersey when you broke your wrist? Yeah, and then like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but 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 that was early in my career. Everybody said, "Hey, you broke your wrist. You wouldn't have did." Now nah, I, I came back and yeah. I averaged in my '97. People fail to realize um, in Portland, I right. averaged like 18 and nine. Yeah, I was yeah. like what is my biggest. No, I was killing that year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, that thing that you know, if you look at my numbers each year. Then you know, I was. The cards I was given, then Boston, yeah. I lead them to the Eastern Conference Finals. Right, I was like fourteen seven. They trade me that summer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Portland had the biggest numbers. They trade me that summer also. No, during the year. Yeah, so <laughs> I, don't, I had 
like, whoa, what could I do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just what I was dealt with in the NBA. You know what I mean? I can't, you know, I can't call it. You know what I mean? I can't <laughs> really, you know what I mean? You know, I just never was on one team for 10, 11 years. Right, I, right, I, was, right. I was getting traded around. But the thing that always, uh, you know, be, be, be little, like, kind of baffled me was I got traded every time I had good years. Yeah. You know what's you know what's funny, Kenny, is I remember when you came to Indiana and we used to sit yeah, and talk yeah. in the locker room yeah, before yeah. games and stuff. When yeah. did when did your perspective on that look? look you seemed like then that you totally yeah. understood. Okay, yeah. this stuff is not always within your you know within yeah. your control, yeah. and you have to kind of deal with the hand you've been dealt. When did that set in for you in terms of your NBA yeah. career, where you really understood? My, I can't control this. I just got to roll with it. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I tell everybody out there that's listening to me, you know, I always say, I played 14 years in the NBA, but I really, I really, I really tried to steal some money for three years. That was it. You know what I mean? Three years. I, cool, I'm telling you the truth. I was just, I was pissed off and a little bothered, but couldn't say nothing. Right. Because I'm, you know, but because I'm going to be a good citizen. I'm going to be a good teammate. I'm going to be a professional. Right. So, Indiana, Atlanta, Clippers, that was just, I was just trying to steal a little bit more money. Right. You know what I mean? I, 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 you know what I, mean? I, I, I just said, this is this is crazy. I'm just, it, it, it squeezed the passion out of me, man. Right. It, right. You know, I'm, I'm playing basketball. Yeah. You know, there was times I really didn't even want to go to practice. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, this because it wasn't going to be nothing. You yeah, know what right. I mean? I bust my butt, work, work out, get in shape. And I wasn't playing for three, four minutes, five, ten minutes. I can't do nothing in that time. Here's right. a guy used to coming off playing 35 minutes plus. Yeah. You got me coming in playing ten minutes. I can't. <laughs> and then they're gonna look at stats. Yeah. Yo, come on! All you young guys looking at, you know, listening to me or whatever you playing, you can't do nothing in ten minutes in the NBA. <laughs> you, you you can't do nothing. You know right. what I mean? So and that's how I was. Say, cool. I was just like, man. And then my mother, I just got sick of it, like trapped, uh, traveling, yeah. busting my butt every summer, and not being able to play minutes yeah. because I was thirty something years old. You you old then. You're like, nah, we're going to get a young cat a chance. Right. And they had that bogus collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> ten years or more, ten years or more, you, you get a million and nine. You know, everybody thought that was good. But hey, not really. Why would they pay an older guy one million, one point million and nine and play two, three, four minutes? Yeah. When uh, they can get a CBA guy that's trying to come, uh, an overseas guy or whatever, a young guy to pay them 400000 Yeah. And he'll run through a wall. So it's a lot of stuff that you, you, don't, don't, have a, you don't have control of. Yeah. So I just lost the, uh, and I can tell you that that NBA thing late in my career, it, it, uh, it took the passion out of it. My mother saw that late in my career. She was like, "You ain't smiling no more. You ain't really that ain't true. You usually love playing." I said, "Yeah, but this is this is this is something I have no control over. This is rough here." Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> so no, no so that's that, funny that, that you. Back. That's funny you bring that up though, because we used to sit. I know we used to sit there. Yeah. You'd always be drinking tea before the game, and we'd yeah, be yeah. we'd be laughing and talking about. Yeah. But, you know, basketball and more. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that was flying over the heads of some of your younger teammates in Indy. Yeah. But myself and you and some of the older guys in that locker room certainly understood. I think Reggie Miller used to be in there sometimes, yeah. too. And he, he kind of would chime in every now and then and, you know, and yeah. co-sign a lot of that. It's 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 yeah. interesting, though, the arc of a player's career, man. And not everybody was as big a high school star yeah. and college yeah. star as you yeah. were. Yeah. Did, did you feel like even if you – didn't have a great NBA career. You had gotten yeah. what you wanted out of the, the game itself, just playing oh, the game. Oh man, say cool. You hit it right on the nose. I I don't have no complaints. 
I'm just going to tell the people the way it is, you know, late in my career in the NBA. Yeah. NBA is great. But it was great for me, you know, when I was playing and when I was being, when I felt like I was a part of a team doing well for that organization. Mm-hmm. High school and college, college, and I feel it again, I played 14 years in the NBA, you know, four years in high school, two years at Georgia. Two years at Georgia Tech was the best time of my life. Right. Playing, playing and living, socially, everything. Yeah. That was the best time of my life, playing basketball. Do you think high school kids should go to college? Yeah, you they got to go to college. They got to yeah. go to college. I don't care what they say. You got to go, you know, so, you know borderline players got to go to college. Should okay. go to college. Borderline players. And I mean borderline players. Like you, you, you can, if you're not a star, if you're not in the top lottery pick, you don't need to be trying to go pro. You need to go to college for at least two to three years. You know, work on your education. You know what I mean? And play basketball. So if this basketball thing don't work out, you can fall back on it. Because right. when it's over, it's over, dude. They're not really trying to, you know, look at it. Oh, you just play basketball. You ain't going to have nothing on your resume, whatever, for education to get a good job or whatever. Because the basketball, what? The longest. I, I did 14 years. That's a long time. Oh, what? Five, five, five years is the minimum or whatever? Yeah. You're playing in there in the league. And most of these guys just wind up playing overseas. You know, or, or not even performing over there and wind up coming back home, going right back to the hood, doing what they've been doing. So right. I just say, when I talk to these kids, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Really, really concentrate on your education and something that you could always fall back on. Because you, some universities, once you finish in there with college, they done with you. Yeah. You got to use your scholarship. Use your scholarship. Don't let it use you. You right. know, I right. went to a pretty solid school, Georgia Tech. And got you know, and my transcript was pretty damn good because I didn't <laughs> go to school for two years, and it's hard as hell. You can you got to go to class, and and well, they kick you out of Georgia, so <laughs> you, ain't, you, you ain't getting nothing. So right. my transcript was pretty solid. So when I went back, it, it kind of helped me. All I had to do was a year and a half, two years right. to get my bachelor's. So that was good. But some of these guys was getting the wrong advice. You know, like I was always saying, you always you gonna get a bunch. You gonna get everybody's advice. Everybody get advice. But some advice is good and some advice is bad. You got to find out for yourself what advice you're going to take. Right. You know, Kenny. Who? Who? And I know how close you were with your mom. Who yeah. else in your in your life? You know, from the time you became somebody that everybody in New York City and the rest of the basketball world knew. Who else was really influential in your life in terms of you listen to them? Like, if you needed to talk to somebody that you could trust and you knew what they said was right. And that you were yeah. going, you know, who was that other person for you, or who were right. some of those other people? My 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 guy, you know, my mentor was Vincent Smith. As you know, my my Smith is like my second family. Kenny Smith, the Jet, you know, he worked for TNT. That's like my second family, right? You know what I mean? And his brother was my mentor. You know what I mean? And he mm-hmm. helped me a great deal. You know, he got me into Archbishop Malloy High School. It's a Catholic school in New York. I took all these preparatory classes to get in Malloy. Because I didn't have you know great grades to get in there when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, um, he, he he taught me he taught me how to we we used to do mock interviews. Mm-hmm. That's why when I went to Georgia Tech, I was always you know good at, you know far as with the media and things of that nature at an early age, mm-hmm. especially right. you know getting all the attention that I got in New York. I was all on you know different TV shows in New York, sports shows. I mean, we used to sit in his house and do mock interviews. You know, he taught me how to, you know, how to tie my first tie because I had Catholic school. Right. You know, little stuff like that I remember, you know what I mean? Uh, and we worked on my game, but he also told me how to be, how to be uh, sociable, how to be a sociable teenager, right. how, to, how, to, how to relate to adults, how to talk, how to talk to my teachers, 
when I needed help in classes and things of that nature. So coming from the inner city, sometimes you don't get that. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, you know, you just you 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 you're just around crazy language. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so he taught he taught me how to be you know how to be a a, a good kid to tell you the truth. Yeah. He taught me, but I listened. Right. You know, I had to listen, and that's just my nature. I always listen. You know what I mean to people. And, and and take what you know what I can out of it, so I can you know further further myself. Kenny, you got your degree now, so what's next for you? Yeah, I'm dying. You know, I'm dying to get into college coaching. You know, I've been I've been doing my networking things like that. My dream is always, and then nobody I don't make it. You know, everybody knows is to coach my alma mater. You know, that's mm-hmm. my dream. But one day be on the sidelines at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I don't know. I'm still young, and I just keep grinding, keep keep learning. You know, that's why I love, you know, doing what I'm doing now because I'm around the youth. I'm around, you know, high school players because soon I'm going to be somewhere and I'm going to be recruiting these kids. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to be somewhere and I'm going to be recruiting these kids. So I'm just trying to get a long list. You know what I mean? I, I know how – I know the game. I know the knowledge. Right. right now I'm, 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 I'm absorbing and learning how to teach these kids. Right. You know, how to be patient and how to how – to, and also how to relate because it's too old. It's too tense. And a lot of these coaches and a lot of these – um, um, people that just don't know how to relate to a lot of the teams now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's good that I'm out here just trying to learn and grind. You know what I mean? I think this year, I think the way it looks, I'm probably going to help out Mike Jarvis down at FAU, mm-hmm. down there in Boca. You know, I'm going to help him. Hopefully I'm going to be on his staff and just, you know, you know, just work that out. But I really want to be down in the ACC. You know, right. that's my goal. That's one day my dream, hopefully, to come come try. I'm only 39. So God right. willing, you know I stay healthy and nothing happened to me. I, I'll get there. No doubt. Well, you got Twitter down now. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I got to leave it. I see you say cool. I'm following <laughs> you, man. But I, sometimes, man, I got to put that thing down, man. No, I, man. Say, I used to say too much. I used to be like, oh, oh, man, oh, oh. I used to get caught up. Like, you get caught up, and I used to be like, man, that thing is addictive. But you got to watch what you say and do, man. Especially me. I'm trying to get into college coaching and dealing with different people. I right. can't be saying. I can't be putting everything out there. No, nah, man, but you you keep us you keep us smiling, man. I love Sacred yeah. and I talk yeah. about. It. We love your. Family. We love seeing that stuff, man. Yeah. You, you put some good stuff yeah. out there, man, and it's yeah. it's good to hear you talk, Kenny, about yeah. this stuff now on the other side of it because yeah. whether you're yeah. coaching young kids or not. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this with Adonis Ford before you came on, man. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of lessons need to be learned by people yeah. about this game, and yeah. you know, and the, the best teachers sometimes are the guys who have been through it. Oh, oh my goodness, that's that's what it's about. I've been through the fire. I've been there. I've been on. And then what's great about me, and I love it, man, the way I came and what I've been through. The NBA, I've been on the top. I've been in the middle. I've been on the bottom. I've been right. like through the spectrum. So I'm loving that. Because I, I got I got that type of knowledge where I've been the 11th, 10th man on the bench at the end of my career. Right. You know what I mean? I've been the top dog on the team, running the team, being a captain. You know what I mean? I've been a part of a team that's, you know, won games and been there. So it's really it's really a blessing that, because like, I always believe, and it's one of the other experience is the best teacher. Sometimes guys don't want to listen. You just got to let them live it. No and I, I lived it. it. So it's, a, it's just a great, you know, feeling to play in the league 14 years and, and and even even seeing how some of the coaches are, you know what I mean? Because one day, you know, I get that opportunity. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it's just it's just funny, you know. Now that I'm on the other side. Yeah. You know, no doubt Kenny, about it. Kenny, we were talking before you came on. We were talking about Seku is coaching a <laughs> uh, 11 to 12 year old football team. 
And uh, and Saker's, I don't know if you can tell, his voice is a little bit ragged yeah. right now because he's been yelling yeah. at the guys. Like, is, what kind of coach are you going to be? You're going to yell at him? Are you going to like? Yeah, I'll be, I'm a little. I'm, no, I'm at practice. I practice, I'm a yell. But the game, I'm gonna be a yeller and I'm gonna be a corrector and a teacher at practice. I'm gonna get that's where that's where I think all my all my yelling and everything should be at practice. Okay. Yeah. But Not once the, the game. game come, they should have a control, you know, inner feeling. Like, listen, this is what we do. Everything is going. And I like some of my coaches I played for was great. I this. Um, Jim O'Brien from the Celtics, very prepared coach. Mm. You know what I mean? Very prepared. He's with, he's one of them guys I look at. He's all, he's always prepared on what if this just really just really business like. That's how Rick Carlisle, one of them. He's one of those guys. Just business like, always prepared. Uh, Rick Pitino is a great coach. Chuck Daly was a coach, my favorite coach mm. with the players. That's how I'll be with the players. He was real sociable and real upfront and honest with them. You know what I mean? It wasn't no. You know, you get a lot of coaches in the league just like you know. Really, they coaching and they, you know, they got an answer to the GM. They really don't have no, they really don't have no control. So they just, they might tell you anything. You right. can't really believe, you know, they're just right. telling you everything to keep you on ice because they don't have no control because the GM is running the whole show. Right. But yeah, I've been with a lot of coaches, so it's good to get different experiences, you know, from all of them. Well, listen, you know, we listen, cool. Kenny. I, that football thing too. One before I go, my son played on a football team now in Florida. He had me on the chains the other day, man. It was hot as it was hot as fish grease out there, man. You know, they, I, I tried to get away with it. They was like, no, you barely got to do it. So it, was like, it was funny, man. It was, it was crazy. Listen, it was crazy. man, you. We are bringing you back on this show now. Don't yes, don't yes. don't try not to answer the phone when oh, the no, season starts. Oh man, when they told me it was you, I was mad. I was <laughs> we coming to get you, man. Yeah, I'll be down in Atlanta. I'll be down there during the NBA season. Yeah, um, during the um, during the Georgia Tech football season. I'm always come coming when they play the Hurricane. Okay, a bunch of my friends are Hurricane fans down here in Florida. Yeah, so they want me to come up there with them. They was like, yeah, why don't you come up that weekend? I'm gonna do it that, and I'm you know I'm gonna be up in Atlanta, so we gotta hook up. Good man, we're gonna get you in the studio up here when you come through. All right. Yeah, yeah, just stay in touch with me, man. You no question, like, I, no question. Right. Man. Appreciate you, Kenny. Thanks, Kenny. All right, thank you, Kenny Anderson, man. Another, like I said, Lang, another one of these personalities, man. You just don't know. I don't think people realize how dynamic some of these guys are when they get to the end of their careers and beyond, man. When they start reflecting and really taking a. a a hard look at what they've done and where they've been and kind of how you can use that to benefit somebody else. Man, I love Kenny now. He's, he I'm is a true character, man. I know. He is a I'm true character. And we talked about his – you got to follow him on Twitter. If, I don't care who you are. Uh, at Chibs underscore yes. one. At Chibs underscore one. one on Twitter. You got to follow Kenny Anson because I'm telling you, entertaining, enlightening, and just downright comical at some time. And down to earth. Yeah. A real dude, man. I like it. Uh, man, I, this this is one of those weeks where Mike is still shaking his head and he's just laughing. He's loving this. Just catching my breath. I know. <laughs> that was tremendous, man. I'm telling you, Kenny used to, we used to sit in that locker room in Indy, and Kenny would like have a Starbucks hot tea. He would make one of the ball boys go up and get him a hot tea. You know, while everybody else is out shooting or whatever they're doing, he was at that stage of his career where it's like he wasn't going out to get shots before. You know, right? He did his work. He wasn't going to go out there for an extra 10 minutes getting shots. He's sitting in that locker room, man, and we would talk like two old, comparatively, you know, in the locker room where you got a bunch of, you know, teenagers and young guys. 
we were sitting at a locker room like two old geezers, man, just talking about the history of the game and life and all that sort of stuff, man. Those are the relationships, Lang, that I always appreciate being able to cultivate doing this job. So, yeah, um, I hear you. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to go get my tea on the way to yeah. practice because I think I'm just going to shut up and practice and Put sip my tea. some honey in there, some lemon in there. Ah, man. You know, you know uh, wifey was giving me the business about it this morning. She was like, you sound a mess. <laughs> she was like, you sound terrible. Just stop talking for the rest of the day. Just, dude, Kenny just told you, yell at practice. <sighs> yes. In the games, you got to have them. You got to have those kids ready to go. They got to be in the Zen mode, baby. They got to be ready. Yeah. They should be. You shouldn't have to yell in the game. You're they right. Should, they should know from practice. You're right. You should. And listen, you want to know the worst part? I wasn't yelling at anybody about nothing, you know, anything in particular. I was yelling them so my defensive lineman would scoot up and get closer to the ball. And I must have had to holler that thing 500 times Saturday. That's why my voice is shot. I like that. You, I like that your voice is shot. What was the score? 22 zip Spartans, yeah. baby. <laughs> like, what did you have to yell about? Like, <laughs> imagine if there's like a real game and it's like. <laughs> And we took knees in the last minute and, like, 50 seconds. We were on the six-yard line. We could have ran up the score. Yeah. But, right. we, you know, we classy outfit. We didn't do it like that. Uh, i well, proud of you. Appreciate it. Listen, <laughs> the Hang Time Podcast, once again, delivering the, the best personalities you can find in, in basketball and outside of basketball. Lang Whitaker, uh, fabulous co-host, executive editor of Slam Magazine. And, uh, again, our schedule, these, these – leading up to training camp we're one week on and then a week off so we'll be back in two weeks with another show for you got some great guests lined up uh big shouts to micah hart super producer over there behind the glass doing his thing and our engineer can't leave him out lane kraus back here he's been quiet today you know i don't know why he's so silent there he knows he wants to laugh out loud with the rest of us but we'll be back again check us out nba.com slam online you can read all you want about Uh, Slam Magazine and everything there. Appreciate you joining us, and we'll see you again.